Oh snap, it's another episode of the PC Gamer UK podcast with me, Sam Roberts, Phil Savage, and Andy Kelly. Okay, so um, it, this week we are very tired, it's after deadline, I know that's a terrible way to start a podcast, but I want to be honest because... It's also how we start about half of our podcast. It's very true. It's, it's either coming up to deadline or we're just off deadline and we're very tired and sad. This is the schedule of our podcast. For three <laughs> weeks it's basically on time, give or take a day, and then there's one week where we kind of vanish for about two weeks and then come back and go, we're tired. This is one of those weeks. Mm. However, we have lots of games to talk about. I say lots, we have four, but they're pretty good ones. Um and uh, it's good to have Something. Andy back on the podcast after a couple of weeks off. Uh, he was at E-FanFest drinking beer on yep. a press trip, which was uh, good Good times. Did work as well. Uh, no, I know. I'm only joking. <laughs> For the <laughs> it, listeners it, at home. <laughs> so don't think I'm some sort of slacker. Yeah, they'll, they'll report you to the ethics cops, you know, um, who are all on Twitter. Uh, anyway, okay, cool. So we're going to jump in then, Andy, with the uh, one of the games you've been playing, because also you've talked to the creator of this game, and therefore it's worth talking about in some capacity, I feel. Full Throttle Remastered. The LucasArts game from the 90s that was uh, very well liked and has been lovingly restored by Double Fine. Uh, you used to chat to Tim Schafer about it, mm. and you've been playing the uh, the kind of new version. How does it kind of like, uh, how have they updated it versus like the Day of the Tentacle um, remastered yeah. last well, year? It's, yeah, it's 22 years old now, which is it's getting on a bit. Um, but it's because it's that pixel art style, the original still looks good because the art is so strong. Um, but they've given it a kind of, um, they've basically painted over the um, the old visuals and given it a sort of almost vectorized look so you can blow it up to 4K and it still looks pretty good. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's the same sort of deal as the Daily Technical Remaster. It's just repainted. It's the same game. Mm. Um, there's some changes to the interface um, and stuff like that. You can sort of tweak it so that... Instead of having to hold the button down to bring up the verb skull, you can just press it once. Little things like that, just like these um, quality of life tweaks. Because because you can play it on controllers now, can't you? Because it's been yeah. consoles as well. So, yeah, yeah. And it, it works really well with controllers, like the day the technical one and the Grim Fandango one. Um, I can't believe they managed to crack that. By the way, that seemed like the genre that was yeah. like, the least appropriate for that sort. Yeah, of thing. you've just got to you've just got to put a bit of. Uh, slow the cursor down and put a bit of weight on it so that you feel that like you're dragging it along with a stick mm. kind of thing instead of it sort of shooting all over the place um, so yeah it's not the best LucasArts adventure but it's got a really big cult following because the sort of characters and um, the world and stuff are so rich um, the puzzles aren't great um, it's it's really short well, it's an mean, adventure game <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> by LucasArts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I really loved Day of the Tentacles puzzles. I don't feel really really didn't. But um, <laughs> I think I think I'd have uh, I'd, I'd, be, I'd look back on it more fondly if I didn't have to play it uh, as an experiment <laughs> yeah. against hey, my own sanity. I had a good time watching that, and I feel that's all that really matters. So, yeah. yeah, that's not the the best way to play it. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, I made Phil finish Day of the Tentacle without using a guide as an experiment and uh, yeah he did it but with, I, without, I did it. with, with some hints there was also provided yes. by the, the tip line Andy Kelly <laughs> yeah. yes we oh. pretended uh, we emulated the uh, LucasArts tip line by having Phil uh, chat to Andy Kelly and Andy fined him for every time that he used the tip yeah. line and made about I think he made about 40 quid off that didn't yeah he? 40 dollars or something so yeah um, but yeah so 
Full Throttle is about a biker called Ben who's on the run from a crime he didn't commit. So it's instantly a bit of a subversion of the adventure game thing where you aren't the sort of lov- lovable goofball who sort of um, uses his smarts to get out of trouble like, you know, the cast of Day of the Tentacle, Guybrush Threepwood. Um, you can sort of, you know, you're a tough guy and you the things you do reflect that. So a lot of the puzzles are solved by kicking stuff, kicking right. doors down or like grabbing people or punching people, or, you know, just getting up to cool, burly, manly biker stuff. And that that's what makes it sets it apart. Um, it was the first game to get rid of that wall of verbs, someone on the first at least, um, at the bottom of the screen so that you just hold, yeah, like I said, you hold down the cursor over something and a little skull comes up with a fist, a boot, eyes and a mouth, and that's how you interact with the world and there's humorous uh, dialogue related to if you try, use, try using your mouth on everything and you... There'll be some sort of amusing dialogue. Um, can you just kick people indiscriminately? Or? Nah, you can. You can kick most things though. <laughs> like if you see a door, you can't get through. You can just kick the door. Yeah, um, so not known for their violent content. Because that's adventure <laughs> yeah. games, are they? Well, this one is because the whole there's a whole section where you're on this uh, thing called the mine road and you're driving your bike around, um, getting into road rash style fights with bikers, and it's kind of like an elaborate puzzle because you've got to figure out which weapons to use against which type of biker. Um, and it, it it was back in the day it used the Rebel Assault engine to give a sort of semi three D feel. Um, oh really? Yeah. How weird. That yeah, that's like the, the FMV game. Wasn't yeah, it? that's the only way they could do it. Um, and, and and that bit hasn't aged well. I remember hating that when I was playing the game as a kid, and now I, I've yeah, they've made it easier. Like they've made there used to be a problem in the first one where the the precise biker you'd need to turn up because you needed like his. A chainsaw or something right. will take ages to appear. Mm. Um, Tim Schafer told me that they've made the occurrence rate of of them much higher, right. uh, and that definitely seems to be the case. I spent way less time on the mine road than I used to, um, to the point where I finished the whole game in three hours. But that's only because I knew every puzzle, um, having finished the game previously ten times or whatever. It'll probably take you double the time if you're playing yeah, fresh. It is yeah, a sh- it got criticised at the time for being short, and it is really short. And they they cut stuff out because it was going wildly over budget and like it was the first LucasArts adventure like cross a million dollars budget you know which at the time was enormous mm. um, but it did pay off it sold I mean back then a LucasArts adventure would have sold like 100,000 copies this sold a million so it was like a, a massive hit oh yeah um, they were talking about a sequel for years as well weren't they yeah there yeah. was two attempts at sequels made uh, after Tim Schafer left LucasArts um, and they didn't really happen and if you watch the trailer it's probably a good thing because they <laughs> without Schaefer it just felt a bit like a bad sort of you know um, yeah. I, I still remember some of it being fully 3D yeah it was 3D yeah. running around and it, the character models were horrible and it just didn't feel like full throttle it felt like some weird cheap biker game with, with the familiar characters in it um it's probably a bigger. This one coming back is probably a bigger deal then than uh, to the audience that played it than Grim Fandango or yeah, you know, Day of the Tentacle. Like, um, you know, just because more people played it at the time. Yeah, and it's they have to, This is the best way to play it because you can even if you don't like the new visuals, <clears throat> you can press F one at any time to go back to the original graphics, but you can keep the remastered sound. And they found the original DAT tapes with all the voice performances on. Mm. They got the original real to real tapes of the music by the Gone Jackals, which is the biker band that supplied the music to it. So all that's been remixed and remastered. Okay. And it's quite interesting going back to the old game, mm. back to the old audio and hearing how flat it all sounds. And now it's all mixed in stereo and the, the there's ambient sound and the music and the voice are all mixed in a dynamic stereo way, which 
it's it's like really weird hearing a game you're so familiar with as being like that sort of low bit rate and um, flat mixing to like suddenly sounding like a modern game yeah so, i almost yeah. can't imagine it yeah. yeah it's really it's really bizarre sensation so it's i think the best way to play it is probably like just play with the old graphics with the new sound and it's because okay. the old graphics have a charm to them and it's a really beautiful artistically one of the the best lucas arts games it was uh the lead artist was peter chan who was like it's like a bit of a legend in, in the game art direction he was responsible for tons of like grim fandango and stuff like that and all his backgrounds in the game are really nice and um the color palette and stuff's really interesting it's just a really cool looking game really cinematic and um the presentation's like way beyond other point and click games but that was their problem was that it was so cinematic and, and lavishly produced that they had to cut tons of stuff out and that's why the game's quite short so um the puzzles aren't great that there's a few mini games that are a bit tedious there's a sort of top-down destruction derby type mini game that was wasn't fun at all to return <laughs> to um but it's i'd say it's great for the story and music and, and sort of vibe um it's just a nice world to escape into for three to six hours maybe eight hours if you get really stumped on a few puzzles and um, they've added Help. a thing now we can <laughs> i'm using the internet for this one <laughs> you can press shift uh, and it'll highlight interactive stuff Mm. which okay. is a massive help I, that wasn't there in the original so you can just go press shift and immediately know which things in a scene you can be interacted with literally every point and click game ever could use that function I yeah. feel yeah. yeah so there's no pixel hunting you know mm. um, oh okay but yeah it's, it's it's good to return to I don't think it holds up as a great example of the genre um, I haven't finished my review yet but I'm probably going to give it like high 70s right um, whereas I gave the technical like mid 80s I think I really I think that still is a better designed adventure game in terms of um, actual satisfying puzzles but um, this is just a, a great experience to have I think and it's quite cheap as well I think it's like um, ten dollars or something at the moment so yeah plus you get a director's commentary which is really good with the the team we got the team back together there's the there's tons of scans of like Peter Chan's concept art from mm. the look at Skywalker Ranch archives that they dug out and scanned in. So, like, as a fan of the game, as a bit of history preservation, it's good in that sense as well. That's awesome. That's uh, that's yeah. that's nice to hear. So, what, I guess, like, in terms of the classic LucasArts, like, the proper classics left that are worth kind of remastering, do you think that... What do you think is kind of left? Do you think any of the other Monkey Island games? I mean, they're 3D, aren't they? So, yeah. It's a more yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah, I think... Uh, Curse of Monkey Island, I'd like to see a, a remake of that, a, a remaster. They did a decent job with Monkey Island 1 and 2, but that was mm. the very first wave of remasters. Yeah. But Curse of Monkey Island is like a really... Uh, I have fond memories of that one. I'd like to see that one, to be able to easily play that one again on Steam, you know, without having to, you know, use other means to play it because it's currently unavailable. Yeah. And um, the dig I'd like to see getting a... Uh, getting the same you had treatment. You feelings about that when you replayed it, though, didn't you? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not great that they it's full of, like, really, even for an adventure game, the puzzles are, because, like, in Day of the Tentacle, the puzzles are, like, you have to paint a cat to look like a skunk, and this that's madness. Of course. But, mm. there are, but those are objects you know, you know what painting a cat is. In the dig, you're on an alien planet, and everything is, like, use the floating red triangle on the, you know, giant... Uh, floating glass orb you know like it's even more confusing because all yeah. the stuff you're interacting with is like literally alien to you but i think I, i'd like to see that just the art in that is nice as well and there's some really good voice performances robert patrick's great in that as the main character yeah. um i'd like to see that next get the treatment and maybe some of the old indie games as well i'd like to see a, a remaster of oh, yeah, um, fave atlantis yeah. yeah yeah but i think they've hit all the main ones really all the big tim schafer ones mm, yeah um they've hit but 
Obviously, yeah, Tim Schafer wasn't involved in the dig, so I don't know if Double Fine would. would Sa- Sam and uh, Max was that one of theirs? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. At this point, they are all now available digitally, right? Yeah, the dig you can buy because the dig and the indie ones you can buy through Steam, even if yeah. they're not remastered versions. Yeah. I think Sam and Max is Sam and Max is on yeah. Cog. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got yeah I think that. Yeah. So yeah, most of them are. are yeah. It's, it's. I'm really glad they did it though. Like it seemed like. Uh, again, it's one of those things where I think when um, Disney took over LucasArts, say everyone thought it'd be like a bad times for mm. those sort of re-releases and whatever. They were but... willing to give the rights to yeah to do it back to Double Fine, which is which shows yeah. a uh, unusual amount of un, uh, understanding from a giant corporate behemoth. Indeed, so. and likewise, they've been releasing all those old Star Wars games on GOG. <clears> they've just been yeah. gone for years. Even and... they, they um, released Shadows of the Empire on Steam for the first time recently which yeah. is quite bizarre and Rebel Assault as well it's a bit yeah. rubbish but it's on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I like to just have the you know the, the full throttle remaster it's now an easily accessible version of the game that will run on modern PCs you yeah know, it's just there it's a historical artifact that they've preserved indeed yeah um, speaking of artifacts that have been preserved then Phil you have been reviewing Bayonetta which yeah. has come to PC for the first time having been originally re-released, released on um, PS3 and 360, all the way back in 2000, early 2010 here, I think? Yeah, early 2010 in the West. Yes, and um. so um, it is basically a hack-and-slash uh, kind of action game from, at the time, what were kind of like some Capcom walkouts, Hideki Kamiya um, yeah. and uh, the company at Clover Studio, who made, uh, well, basically he was a creator of Devil May Cry, and this was his return to that genre at the time, having not made any of the sequels to Devil May Cry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and boy, was it a return. That's uh, yeah. some some legacy he's got with this specific genre of game. He's sort of like, I know he's kind of like renowned now as like hilarious um, Twitter man, but he also has made like, he made Akami, he made Resident Evil 2. Beautiful Joe. Beautiful Joe. Mm. And he made, and uh, yeah, and uh, Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. Yeah, that's. Yeah, and he was like super heavily involved in a lot of those. Akami was like his sort of pet project, wasn't it? It's, mm. it's weird he's such a caustic man on Twitter and he made this beautiful, <laughs> flowing uh, yeah. adventure. It's, yeah. it's got a bit of a uh, sort of cheeky vibe, Akami, I guess. Yeah. It? With that Issun character. Yeah, basically. that's like his. his um, yeah, Akami writing himself into the game, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Bayonetta My is Twitter ca- persona made flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Bayonetta is kind of like the next phase along from Devil May Cry. There's like a generational leap there in terms for of for sure, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So Devil May Cry was like the first of this breed of like third person action hack and slash games where it was all, it was quite hard. It was all about combos and variety <laughs> and uh, kind of watching your um, your kind of rating as you were fighting. Yeah, go you up can tell you're playing one of these games because uh, you're, you're given a rating when you finish beating some people up. Yes. And, uh, it tends to be in Bayonetta. It's a stone up to pure platinum, depending on how good you are at biffing some folks, some yeah. angels. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, I feel. Um, I guess, like, if you can, can you explain the premise of Bayonetta? Oh fuck! Okay, basically, <laughs> should you say it's a it's a woman who wears an outfit made of hair who can turn her hair into monsters? Yes, and she used uh, to be in a church, and now she's a witch or something. Well, no, she's a witch. That's just. That's one one of the Umbra witches, right. who in this world were uh, part of a balance of power between them and the Lumen Sages. Okay, the so, light and dark of the. So the story is terrible, um, <laughs> but it's all about the combat, isn't it? And, Very uh, much so, yes. Yeah. And uh, how your hair and therefore your clothes are sometimes used within the combat. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, at the most basic level, you've got it's one of these games where you've got a light attack and a heavy attack. Uh, and you can use those to build various combos. And uh, actually, one of the um, 
one of the things that the PC version slightly struggles with the is that screens. the loading screens are too quick for you to view the combo <laughs> list. In the Xbox version, um, the, the original release, whenever you were loading, you were put into this sort of abstract space <clears> where you could just sort of hit buttons and you'd pull the moves off and it would show you combos that relate to those various moves and you could practice and stuff like that. But the PC version, like, each scene loads in seconds. <laughs> you sort of see a vague glimpse of the list and you've gone again. You're back in the action. <laughs> so, okay, well, I mean, this is good, but also... Mm? That's very. That's funny that that is a that's a, a way in which the port works against it. That's <laughs> a little a, bit, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like via these combos, um, you create these uh, incredibly sort of fluid, um, flowing action scenes. Um, they look so crisp and uh, so elegant. Uh, I, I think that is just visually. It's why Bayonetta is probably one of the best of these games. Like even today, yeah. uh, not it's not a case of oh, this is good if you sort of mentally go back seven years and think yeah if i was playing this at the time it'd be good. i mean it's still probably one of the best of these games well i guess it helps that that genre has been basically static since uh dmc in 2012 right yeah i guess i mean i think there's a there's very few people who make like the pure linear combat hack and slash now yeah. Uh, it, if you look at, I mean, this issue we're also reviewing near Automata, yeah, uh, and that is like ostensibly similar, but it's also an open world RPG, and it, it's got a lot of sort of things on the side and a lot of experimentation to <clears> kind of expand the combat's genre. a lot simpler as well. The combat is a lot simpler because of it, yeah. Or like um, Revengeance, which came out on PC in 2014, which is got where it's it's followed by the same developer, but it's not nearly as elegantly made it, or, or as it's just not anywhere near the same league i don't think mm. yeah yeah uh, some people clearly will argue that point i've seen uh, but they're wrong because bayonetta is well people think revengeance is better than bayonetta yeah. really well i do like revengeance but like um and it's kind of cutting system was uh, it was cool but superficial i think i think if we learn anything from the internet is that people will think anything about anything there's always someone <laughs> who's got the, the weirdest opinion that's true why am i even fighting this yeah. uh, so i'd yes. be surprised um so yeah uh, like the, because of i think because of its focus it is you know a completely linear you play 16 or 17 chapters and there's like 10 sequences within each or within the majority of them and you are just going from point a to point b uh the everything everything about it is completely dialed on the combat uh so that means like in addition to the combos you can also pull off various you know there's a magic system where you charge up attacks by avoiding getting hit you know, making attacks without getting hit you build up magic and that magic can be used to execute torture attacks uh, which is when your clothes slash hair become uh, torture devices to do sadistic shit to angels, yeah. often with like a kinky edge to it as well. Then some of them are pretty explicit. Yes, um, is the is the big boot one of those? And oh, no, I just I think that she does normally. The big it? boot is a, a wicked weave, which is sort of like <laughs> the punctuation at the end of a combo. Yes, it's, yes. Um, you do light, light. Yeah, you heavy. do a light, yeah. light, heavy, heavy, and then you can hold an attack down a lot of the time, and uh, that that will just sort of charge up this boot yeah. or fist. Well, I, I I played the hell out of Bayonetta when it first came out, and I reviewed it for a magazine back in the day, and I loved it. And like, um, one of the things that's great about it is that while the kind of scoring system does kind of ensure replay value, it's actually the fact that because you can go around this the game collecting these broken records, mm. you put them together again, you can unlock new weapons. Yeah. 
and those weapons are actually really exciting and different and completely change the dynamic of the game yeah they completely change up all your combos and you can put different weapons on your feet and your hands yes oh because also you have uh, guns for feet yes of course yes um it was great though it was like a true kind of like weird original and um yeah and then sega sort of like at the time it didn't do the business they wanted it to mm. and it kind of went away and then um nintendo in an effort to win over hardcore fans i think um basically released bayonetta 2 um which is one of those admirably kind of like uh commercially suicidal movies i've ever seen which is what if a console with a very niche fat audience um had the sequel to a game that wasn't even on a nintendo console to begin with that was like yeah yeah you're really kind of going as niche as possible there you're also kind of annoying the most people as possible yeah like bayonetta fans probably are more likely not to have the nintendo system because a lot of the nintendo series tend to be quite self-contained yeah by the nintendo for your elders and your whatevs it's cool though because i think this is part of the same program that sega did for valkyria chronicles where they basically went through their old console archive and saw well what isn't on pc yet yeah. and um and released it <coughs> i looked on steam spine it's already sold a hundred thousand copies plus like if this was a new release in like box form it would be one of the biggest games in the world right now it's quite yeah, cool I mean, to see it, it, like yeah. it spent a week like in the top two or three of the steam charts yeah uh which are Organized based on revenue, I believe as well. And right. it's fifteen. It's fifteen pounds to buy, as which is very to like reasonable. A new thirty, forty pound game. So I think that's a, that's a very generous um, price, <clears throat> considering that uh, mm. Bulletstorm was just re-released for like thirty quid, twenty-five quid, something like that. Yeah, uh, th- yeah Bulletstorm's thirty quid, and this isn't this isn't even the first time Bulletstorm has been on PC. <laughs> yes, I'm not paying thirty quid to play Bulletstorm as Jack Nukem. No, definitely not. No thanks. No, no way. <laughs> um, no, and that's uh, yeah, and I. I I looked on that, and then that sold like uh, I think eleven thousand copies on Steam when I last checked, something like that. So pe- clearly, people kind of like I don't know. There's clearly a difference in approach and demand there. Yeah, that, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, great to see, and so it makes you wonder what you know might be next. Who knows? Maybe something else from Sega's archives. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. the obvious Platinum one would be Vanquish, uh, which was published by Sega, developed by Platinum. It's like if they're prepared to do, if Platinum are prepared to remake the games, which they seem to be, because I think I think as long as the publisher lets them, they're always interested in making the PC version. And... Yeah, and like um, I think uh, Kotaku did something where they sort of like suggest one of the Platinum producers suggested it was going to come out on PC as well. That'd be great, Vanquish. That is also a very silly game. Yes, that is a very silly game. A very entertaining action game. That'd be great on PC as well, because that, uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic, especially if they do the same job with the port they have here, because this is the definitive version of the game, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, I think, like, even if you're not massively into hack and slash type games, it's certainly worth getting Bayonetta for a couple of reasons. One being, like, it is probably the pinnacle of that combat system, so you do get to experience it as best. Yeah. Also, it's quite easy to just muddle through if you're bad at them. Like, I think it's quite forgiving in places as well. Yeah. Uh, especially if you don't worry about the rankings, uh, which you really shouldn't on your first playthrough, however good you are, because uh, it requires so much exploration and stuff to, to get the highest ones of them that you, you kind of just want to plow through. Also, it gets fucking mad towards the end. Oh, yeah. Like... The escalation of as much as the story is incomprehensible, the actual escalation of set pieces just keeps on building until like the the final boss is ridiculous. Right. And the resolution to the whole thing is just it's audacious. Yes. If you've never played Bayonetta before, get it. That is a very mm. reasonable price. Um I've also seen a few retailers doing it for like ten percent off as well, so really at like thirteen 
quid or whatever. It's no excuse. That's, a, that's an amazing price for a great yeah. game. I have been playing Stories Untold, um, but we've done that. We've done that. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I must admit that is a very cool game, and that's. Uh, uh, I've I've done three of the four episodes now, and I'm actually very sad it's going to be over soon. And um, what should just be a novel premise of playing a game within a game, I actually realise uh, is is kind of rich with potential for other types of games. And I suddenly re- remembered that her story is basically this kind of game as well, where you're playing a computer yeah. within the game, and um, you don't just have to limit that to kind of like horror and the sort of like basically the game reacting to how you input commands, like in um, Stories Untold. Mm. You can actually just find different novel ways of uh, linking the fact that you are a player at a computer with a character who's doing the same thing and build a connection there because you're doing the same thing. It's yeah, a very I, natural, easy thing to it's, do. It's definitely, it seems to be like a, an emerging genre. Recently, I've reviewed games like uh, Mainlining and A Normal Lost Phone. Oh, yeah, of Which course, are all yeah. just like, they, they all sort of fake a desktop or a phone screen and hmm. you simultaneously are yourself playing a person who is playing on one of these screens or is you manipulating one of these devices within the world yes i've played a bit of a game called open sorcery on my phone as well which is coming to pc soon i think Mm -hmm. and that is a game where you're basically in the back end of this operating system where there's these basically i think it's like a kind of colorful uh sort of story that takes place within this kind of like quite you know techie looking interface yeah orwell's one of them as well um yeah yeah there's a bunch a format that works very well. Um, in Stories Untold's case, it works well because like the, um, the the audio is so refined. And while they don't do a lot in terms of like the visuals, like um, what they do use are very effective tools and uh, to kind of shit you up a little bit. And uh, so yeah, I've been playing that, and honestly, I, I absolutely love that. And I'm kind of like um, I don't know, that got me thinking a lot about uh, the idea of like uh, anthology kind of games mm. where you you know tell short stories basically in a package like. Um, I, I really think that's quite a, a good premise and one you can do quite easily with a text adventure. I'd totally like to see more. I noticed that No Code, who make stories untold, is hiring two programmers and an animator. So cool. I'm, and they've, they're with Devolver now, so I'm guessing they're probably working on something new. Mm, great. Maybe another anthology, but the fact that they're hiring out implies that it's going to be much bigger in scope. That's great. I mean, I, I, I kind of don't want to spoil what the premise size is for the episodes because you can get it for like a tenner and it's well worth buying. But um, I must say, Andy, I thought that while I thought House Abandoned was probably the best like premise of them, I actually thought the execution gets got steadily better in the next yeah, two episodes. Yeah, I think ep- episode three is the best. Yeah, they're really good. The number stations one. Oh, yeah. Say no more. But that one is really well, well constructed. The second one's got some quite uh, freaky and yeah. like, weird sort of like sci-fi dissection stuff that works mm. really well as well uh yeah it's a cool game so i've been playing that phil but i also went to um star wars celebration at the weekend yeah you did and i haven't played star wars battlefront 2 but i have have um spoke to some people about it including lucasfilm and um dice and motive and that was kind of that's kind of an interesting reveal i thought that was actually mm. quite a good reveal to be honest yeah like, that um, story trailer i'm instantly into that i want to that shot of the them seeing the death star blowing up from the forest moon was like I like that. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Like um, the thing they were kind of telling me about that was that the idea is they're going to explore the Empire's sort of shades of grey and like what ha- what happens if you were kind of from a planet where you really believe that and uh, and you buy into that and that the character's framed as a character called mm. Iden Versio. <clears throat> what if she's framed as like the hero of her own story, uh, which you don't really see much in Star Wars. You get to be the bad guys in Tie Fighter and uh, Kotor and, and Jedi, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like um, not in quite the same way. Um, so I think it's interesting. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do wonder a little bit. Uh, 
how much people will be up for a what if the Empire are actually the good guys uh, story in the current political climate when you know I don't even want to get into the, the nitty gritty at this point but. I reckon she'll leave like she'll that event will um, make her question you know her loyalties it, and she'll do it a thing yeah, it um, sounds like that's not it is just I, I mean how much they've got like how many twists they've got planned over the course of the campaign? But what I've seen what you what you wrote of um, the upcoming cover feature that we're doing. Yeah, well, it's um, yeah. They basically the the kind of story is that it's set over thirty years yeah. between basically the creation of Starkiller Base from the Force Awakens and that moment from Return of the Jedi. So presumably you get to see her story from like when she's in her I don't know late twenties mm. to in her late fifties, which is yeah. quite a quite a story, um, quite a time frame. And it's co-written by um, Walt Williams, I think his name is, who did um, Spec Ops: The Line. Mm. So um, I don't know. I, I think that there's uh, there's potential in that. If we're being on, if we're being kind of exploring this though, like mm. I was thinking about this, how much evil do they really show the Empire doing apart from blowing up planets <laughs> and extinguishing oh, the gonna, Jedi? Okay, I'm going to have to stop you. There, <laughs> do they ever? Apart from blowing <laughs> up no, but, planets, but that's did... like that's like twenty years after Revenge of the Sith, where they killed all the Jedi. But what else did they do in that twenty year? Do period? they ever address what it's like? Uh, I mean, in the main, now they don't in the main films, and we could go into a wormhole of extended universe. But the idea of like, if you live on an Empire-controlled planet, yeah, is it like Vichy France? Are you, are you know, is um, is it, are they do they like? Is it all right living under the empire? Do they improve the infrastructure? Do they build a space? <laughs> How the lands? The game, the game. No, but the game's going to explore this because, like, yeah. um, she's from a planet called Tardos, I think, which is like an imperial utopia. Yeah, see, it's probably all right if you like. You know, say you're in some little backwater planet. The empire comes to town. And they go right. We're taking control here, and then suddenly you've got like power generators and moisture ev- uh, evaporators, yeah, and power converters. You know, up to your knees in them. And they're like, hey, it's all right, you know. They're, they're, they're you know, space fascists ruled by a despotic <laughs> uh, madman who looks who, like a monster. Who get their but, by literally being evil. Yeah, but you, you know, if you're on some backwater planet on a moisture farm, you're like, eh, it's been all right since the Empire came. You know, they give us, uh, you know, they give us like, you know, they give us a fair wage for our moisture that we're farming. I sort of like um, that's the thing. Like in uh, episode one, they do sort of de- depict the um, Senate as, uh, which is obviously democratically voted, as being a bit shit and unable to get things done. Yeah. And then the Emperor takes over, and obviously they don't really tell you what happens in between that. Yeah. But I on mean, a large um, scale, they're doing some evil, evil but, but, shit. But yeah, you know, maybe just everyday life under the Empire is all right. Probably but, better than if you were, you know, run but, by the bloody bumbling Senate, George, <laughs> Senator Jar Jar Binks, deciding the fate of your moisture. He farm. was a senator, wasn't he? Yeah. He was like walking around in gave, in episode two, he's the one that gave emergency powers to Palpatine. He did. Yeah. Prick. What a prick. Um, but uh, yeah. So <laughs> what I'm saying is, Phil, I I 100 think that destroying Alderaan was a bad move. Yeah. <laughs> and very wrong. But like um, well, that was just the people, the bad bad eggs at the top. And apart from ki- but apart from killing the Jedi, right? Which is also not good. Right. Okay. What, here we what, go. What else do they actually do that's evil? Because like they don't destroy torture people. Anything. Do they? Who do, when do when do they show people being tortured? In, uh, oh, Rogue One. And no, in um, in uh, Force Awakens and A New Hope, when um, uh, Leia's strapped to that thing, Vader brings in a little flo- floating droid. That's true. They do have torture they, and, droids. And, and, and also, like, as there's part two of torture the whole organization, Darth Vader just <laughs> casually chokes his employees. Oh, but like um, 
Kylo Ren torches people, right? And yeah. Darth Vader does. But the actual like Imperial fleet, yeah. do they do much torturing or anything like that? Yeah, I wonder if like you know all those admirals in their little grey uniforms have ever done any torturing, or if it's just the big bads. They've <laughs> definitely done some torturing. What, what yeah. I'm saying some is, if, if anything, they need to actually show the Empire being properly nasty in this. You never line. see stormtroopers mistreating anyone. No, that's They're it. Perfectly but... polite. They're going. Oh, I'm looking for some droids. Yeah, no, no. I'm not going to affect you or your way of life. I'm merely, yeah, like, I'm merely here. Yeah, to you don't seem like kicking down Obi-Wan doors Kenobi. and like um, and some droids. They're not like the combine. You know, we see them kicking down doors and roughing people up, trying to find the droids. They just politely so they I set up like a little roadblock. Do. do you though? I don't know. They set up only watch Star Wars once. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> a little checkpoint in Mos Eisley. They set up. You know, they just uh, people passing through. They politely ask. Yeah, they don't know, ever like mishandle any of those aliens in that in Mos Eisley. They're not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, right. Let's be very, very clear. They are bad because they blow up Alderaan and they kill all the Jedi. That's not good. That is not resolutely not good. Um, but no, what I'm saying is that for this story, I think they okay. should. I think they should depict <coughs> the Empire committing atrocities and go further into that. Yeah. No, I do because if you if these are the bad guys and mm-hmm. there is some justification for the things they do, you have to show the things they do yep. and understand why they think that's okay. And I don't think Star Wars has done much of that. It's mainly just explored these very binary ideas of good and evil. And they are the kind of a Flash Gordon style, uh, you know, heightened, ridiculous enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, I don't know, in terms of like actual kind of evil stuff, <clears throat> I'm just saying that the body count could be higher, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until okay. you get to the whole, the whole planet. Binary I sort of dug my way into a hole, then kind of dug my way out. I think there. We're, we're way past binary good and evil and and, uh, and pop culture now. You know, Game of Thrones is the ultimate example. Binary good and evil is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to start getting some nuance up in here. I genuinely well, believe do that they're we doing for that. what is a franchise essentially designed for children? But I, it's not. A, it started as that, but it's not really anymore. Yeah, they, they told me that like they, they t- talked up the whole Shades of Grey thing as being a result of the fact that like 40 years have moved on since that first <clears> film. And like, um, yeah, I mean, there's an argument that maybe it doesn't belong in a kid's film. But like, um, I know it is at least. I think it's at least gives them a bit of uh, thematic meat to explore in this. If it's a kids' line. film, why is there like long disputes about trade? A guy getting cut in half. A guy getting it's both, a bad kids' film. It is, a guy getting really both bad. legs and his arms cut off like, <laughs> and burning in lava. All of these, all of these <laughs> questions can be answered with the episode one documentary. <laughs> yeah. But they also reckon that episode eight is going to explore some kind of like uh, I don't know Jedi sort of middle ground of like <clears throat> binary morality, right? Because of the his Luke being a grumpy man with a beard now. I won't go into all of that though. But um, yeah. but, but the Jedi are boring. I'm glad they've not done a story and and Battlefront as you point as a Jedi. They're bloody boring. You do um you will a lot get... of pious boring space nerds. <laughs> you will um play a you uh, will be a mission where you play as Luke Skywalker though and another oh, one. Yes. Yeah, he's all right. He's one. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. Yeah. Um, so that'd be interesting because um she obviously wants to avenge the Emperor. So she's yep. yeah. Um, they wouldn't tell me whether they're going to get like the original voice cast back or any, or you sound alike. So I, would, I think that. they should get a sound alike because I, I love Mark Hamill. He's one of the, the best voice actors, but it's hearing his old man voice coming out of a young Skywalker model would be weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree I with know. that. Mm. But um, the thing that actually I was the most impressed by with the reveal was the fact that they um, revealed uh, seven planets by my count, which was this new one: um, Hoth, Camino, <coughs> Endor. I assume based on that trailer, um, Starkiller Base, and Mos Eisley, and one more that I've forgotten. But not older on then. Not older on. <laughs> be a short round. <laughs> um, there's probably at least one more from um, the uh, prequel trilogy as well. But like. Um, 
Yeah, and there's going to be some more new ones. They told me, but like, but <clears> I think that's impressive because the first Battlefront just had five planets, and one was a pre-order bonus. So <laughs> they've obviously learned their lesson when it comes to actually packing it with stuff. Um, therefore, I'm kind of interested in it. Without, with... didn't you say they're um, redoing the DLC model as well? Yeah, they've sort of. The director, I think, said there was no season pass, and then okay. I read this morning that apparently uh, EA had said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 that's we haven't said one way or the other yet." But um, right, okay. But I think if they were going to have a season pass, they probably would have said it by now. Um, so I think they'll just <coughs> do ex- self-contained expansions, um, maybe with some kind of element that people can download for free, so it doesn't split the player base as much. Because I actually do. I actually did think that the DLC thing in Battlefront was. Some of it was fine as DLC, like the Rogue One stuff, fine. But like the the Death Star should have been in the game, I think. Yeah. That's uh, there's no reason that shouldn't have been. That's uh, yeah, that's standard. But um, yeah, that's Star Wars Battlefront. Haven't played it, but that's what that's everything they told me more or less, apart from some stuff about multiplayer <coughs> progression that they weren't very clear on. So um, yeah, okay, cool. Jumping into another one of your games, then Andy, without wanting to make you talk too much because you have a bad throat. Um, Project Spark, which you played at E-Fan Fest, uh, yeah. where you were also drinking beer, as we discussed. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was... that We previewed that last year, and I think it was called Project Something or other. Project Arena. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And now it's got a, a worse name for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that name's all about. Yeah. But yeah, they, I played, yeah, a year ago I played this. It was a prototype <clears throat> VR sports game thing, and basically everyone that played it came back and wrote about it and said it was great, including me. Um, obviously inspired by that, they're, they're making it a full game, and... Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I don't know why it's called Spark, but basically Spark it's... Spark with a C as well. Yeah, I don't know what, why. Yeah. Um, but they're calling it a V-Sport. I don't know if that's going to click nope. catch on. No, but... no, 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 no. We barely... We barely... <clears throat> we had to argue out about the formatting of eSports. Don't get me yeah. started. Yeah, can we... <laughs> V-Sports. Executive decision ban the term V-Sport. From <laughs> the yeah. D- deal. Done. So you're sort of in a, cor- a holographic corridor... Um, two players standing at either end of it and you basically toss a ball at each other and it bounces around this corridor and the idea is to hit the other player and both players have shields and can bounce it back. It's that simple. Wow. Um, but that's the beauty of it. Like it's one of those VR games where you just you instantly go, yeah, I get this. It's just it's tennis, space tennis. Um, and the, because it, the other player's avatar perfectly tracks their movements it's so surreal to see like the avatar like you know i was playing a journalist from a rival pc gaming outlet mm-hmm. and he was uh dancing a sort of uh, intimidating jig and <laughs> that's yeah. what the rivals do <clears throat> and, he, and, I, and i could see i could see his body language perfectly mirrored by this hol- floating holographic space robot was and it adam I, smith no so he's the one I could imagine using dance. As no, weapon, no, it was but... from it was another man. But then <laughs> I danced the jig as well, and it was like a sort of Tron meets West Side Story situation. <laughs> and this was before the match had started. But it, then, uh, bef- uh, whilst you, whilst loading, the other avatar appears right next to you. Right. So you're like standing next to this weirdly physical-looking robot, perfectly mirroring the player's move. It's so surreal. Yeah, and you can sort of, like, stick your finger up to him. And, okay, I and, wonder where that was going. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, can, you know, it's all about, like, uh, you know, you can suck, attempt to psych them out with your uh, intimidating body language and all as that. As well as telling them our traffic numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you, yeah, once you're in there, it's just a, a, a you know, the ball... The, the corridor you're in is quite narrow, so if you... There's a skill to, like throwing the ball, you know, to the side and, like, you know, uh, working out the angle and mm. velocity to make it bounce around and confuse them so that it hits them. Um, but you can both throw your balls at the same time. So you throw your ball and then they'll throw theirs and then it's just a 
they're just pinging everywhere. Oh, cool! Like, yeah, like, rad air hockey. Yeah, it's like hockey, yeah. it's like three dimensional air hockey. That yeah. sounds great. But it is brilliant. It's just really simple. It's just like you know, it's just VR pong. But I guess if you, you, I'm guessing you can play it online. You might have said that already, and I missed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's all online. Um, I was playing in the same room with people. Um, but it's all all going to be online. And I did say, can can it really track that much nuance of movement online? Went, yeah. You know that's that's something we've worked out. So, Ooh. so to you, <clears throat> it could be strange playing with someone, you know, who's in a different country and like standing right next to their robot avatar mm. and like having a weird like, we're in the same room, man. That's weird. <laughs> but yeah, cool. I'm thinking, you know, this. I'm thinking of the further sexy applications of that technology. Yeah, <laughs> never mind Pong. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it, it it's it's really good. It's uh, there's still the hurdle is. People don't have VR headsets. Um, I think the Oculus and the Oculus Touch right now is like 600 quid or something, which is like approaching kind of acceptable, maybe. But still. Do you think so? No, actually, that's still too much. Like, you can get a new PC for like 800 yeah. And you still have to buy the PC to get the VR headset. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. That's still a problem. If VR was super mainstream and accessible, this would be one of the biggest games on it. It'd be like the Wii Sports of VR. It's mm. how I feel about um, Star Trek Bridge Crew, yeah. which is a very cool idea, which yeah. I tried at E3 and really liked. But to know four <clears throat> people, sorry, three friends who have yeah. VR headsets and can play it with you at the same time, like who own the game, that's so yeah. unlikely. I think, yeah, It's just an extra thing to <clears throat> the confluence of events. So that you, The difficulty that it already is getting four people together. Like We have enough trouble trying to get a GTA Heist crew together, let alone... Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Do well, it Spark in VR is with... just two people, so you can just go online and play... You know, go matchmaking and just play people. Well, this, it, yeah. this is the sort of thing that, like, um, I mean, this, <clears throat> won't, this won't happen. But arcades are, are made for this sort of thing. This is where VR probably belongs right now. Is in, in, yeah, in yeah, arcades yeah. is an experiential thing. You know, yeah. right? There's an at-home um, internet thing. Surely, playing with randos in a game with that much, with that detailed motion tracking of of your body. It's just a yeah. recipe for yeah for some naughty, <laughs> naughty badness, <laughs> wrongness. Some real My favorite wrong-ins. kind of badness. Yeah. You're just inviting some real wrongins into your home. Yeah, yeah. Have right. their way with your virtual space. Actually, you don't have any legs, so you can't thrust your groin. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know what I'm into, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh. Yeah, it, it looks it's amazing. It's the best VR thing I've played, but. I don't have. I have no way of playing it at home. I don't have a VR headset, yeah. so it's just a. It remains a novelty that I play it when I go to Iceland <laughs> to E Fan Fest. Ah, it's a shame. But yeah. like, uh, yeah. Well, uh, you can read about that in a coming issue of PC Gamer. Andy's written a thing for the site as well, so check that out at pcgamer.com. And uh, yeah, um, I guess we're going to end on a dour note, Phil, by talking about a bit about Agents of Mayhem. Well, at least we've got questions afterwards. <laughs> it should perk us up a bit, because this is going to be a low-energy couple of minutes now. Yeah, so I played this at E3, and I kind of liked the idea. Yeah, you came away pretty pretty into it. I did, yeah. I thought the city looked nice, but you actually really didn't like the colour palette. Of the city, I don't know. It's, it's really... Uh, so it's um, futuristic soul. I should say Agents of Mayhem by Volition. Uh, Saints Row spin-off kind of thing. A sort of alternate reality Saints Row thing. Yeah. Uh, just there a, just there a... really is a law connection if you <coughs> want to get deep into the <laughs> into the nitty gritty of uh, the Saints Row universe. Just to let you know what kind of energy this is, this next section is going to be at. Is Andy's already got his phone out, so we just uh, it's, it's it's one of those games. So, you know, <laughs> pop the kettle on or something. This is a good one. If you're going to cut some potatoes up and put them in the oven, go for it. You know? yeah. yeah, you got to stick the Hoover on or whatever. <laughs> now is the time. Um, okay, so 
it kind of remind. It was a bit of a. It's a bit of a weird sale. Like you play as you pick three out of a roster of something uh, like. Th- there's twelve. It's like, yeah. It's sort of a single player open world hero shooter with a roster of twelve characters. You pick three to take on a mission, uh, and it's not in the Mass Effect style. I mean, a lot of this game is kind of Mass Effect two e, although. I don't think as well designed in any way, or but, having any good storyline or anything like that. But. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of characters that I kind of resonated with a bit. Okay, and I mean that is that is where I see one avenue of hope for this is that if it is quite well written, then maybe it'll drag through the bits that right kind of annoy me. Anyway, uh, so you pick these three characters, um, and you switch when you switch between them, the one you were playing as disappears, and the one you've selected appears in their place. Mm. Uh, and then uh, the two that you're not currently controlling at sort of recharge their health and shield and stuff slowly, I think, as well. Um, which is kind of weird, because it's like, well, if if we're just teleporting in, why can't I select all 12 of them? Yeah, why do I have uh, to pick three? Maybe because you worry about overwhelming the player with choice. Uh, I, I get it. It's just it's sort of one of those things where it feels like the, the, the solution you've come upon seems arbitrary, but I, it's the least of my... It's Problems. a shame you can't have like two of them controlled by AI, and there's like interplay between the three. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of, there is there is going to be mid mission bands apparently. Like they can interact with each other somehow, even though they don't exist in a physical space. That seems like a wasted opportunity, doesn't it? Like, mm. um, yeah, I mean, hearing a bit of like I don't know if all the different characters have different relationships with each other, you could hear that dialogue. Like, like you, can, like Saints uh, Row, you know. Uh, so the characters each have like different abilities and sort of you know speeds that you traditional hero shooter stuff where uh, you know, you've got your your big boys with the shotguns and you've got your lithe uh, slim people who can go <coughs> fast and do three dashes or whatever. There's an archer. There's, there is an archer. Yeah. Yeah, of course there is. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'll say one of the things that I took away from your piece on it, which is in the issue of Piece of Game out on uh, May the 4th, May the 4th be with you, Star Wars on the cover. Sorry about that. I wasn't intentional, um, <laughs> but it was fortunate in a way, I guess. Phil's very disappointed in me. Um, like I said, <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed with you while also being uh, happy about the brand potential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, the content, uh, yeah, the, it's going to go down a treat. Um, so, um, yeah, you told me the guns don't feel good. And I thought it was a shame because I actually um, had quite a lot of fun with Saints Row 4's combat. Oh, this is it. I, I do... I really liked Saints Row the Third and Saints Row Four, uh, and part of that was just sort of like the tone and the confidence that Volition had found within those characters and their ability to tell an open world story. Mm. Um, and part of it was just because it was very silly and it had some dumb weapons and abilities and stuff, and it all kind of felt tongue in cheek and it, it never took itself seriously enough to to feel dull. Right. Um, and Agents of Mayhem, you've got. The you know you've got an assault rifle, you've got a shotgun, you've got a bow and arrow, you've got an Uzi, you've got all the boring guns that you're kind of fed up of. Yeah, uh, it's uh, a secret numbers game. Like you shoot a thing and the numbers pour out of the oh. head, which you, know, you sort of know what you're going to get already, don't you? Because there's like RPG progression mechanics, and you've got to upgrade certain things to upgrade your damage and right. So like some enemies are a real pain in the ass to go and down. Then of course, be- yeah, because it's. Because it's all based on numbers and damage values and uh, error effects, abilities and stuff like that. That means that enemies have bigger health bars than oh. ever feels good. Damn, because in Saints Row you could just go up to someone and like I don't know, elbow drop them or whatever those melee moves were. And yeah, like dead and that's it. The the, the um, dubstep gun just fully took them out of commission because they danced themselves. They dubbed themselves into a death fever. <laughs> it's like, 
I have no problem with that. That's fun. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this is like hold the mouse cursor on the per- on the enemy's head until the numbers the health bar ticks down and they die. Oh dear. I, I, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But um, uh, yeah, so what, what? I guess like those are the things you're you're a bit down about. Like yes. wh- what kind of what are you left with hope about then? Um, essentially, so, like I said. I've, uh, I want to see more of the city. Uh, it's a futuristic version of Seoul. It's not a fictional place. I did like, like it. it. I thought it was very colourful and very different to other open worlds. I didn't find it that colourful, to be honest. It, it just seemed quite very muted and pastely, and I, I, nothing, nothing about it. And what an admittedly small part of it felt like <coughs> it was doing anything that visually appealing, like right. anything that set itself apart or, or felt distinct and specific to this game. Um, That's a I mean, shame. It's something you know. We'll we'll see when it comes out. We, like most of the demo wasn't. It was like we got to see five different types of mission essentially. So we didn't actually get to just wander around the open world much. So that may not have helped with that bit of the perception of it. Um, the thing I like most, like one. So the, one of the characters we got to spend the most time with was called Daisy, who is uh, a a roller skating, uh, a roller derby player who. Uh, quote loves fighting and fucking, and she's got she's got sort of um a better, <clears throat> so, so it's like Betty Page look about her. Yeah, Betty yeah. Page and a minigun, and um, still that nuanced sense for humour. Then, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but like, I will a- say, that and her- he just picked up his copy of the Tatler and carried on reading it. There. <laughs> her dialogue was still kind of the most charming thing about the whole thing because you actually got to spend a bit of time with a character. And yeah, it's dumb. It's dumb kind of uh, shock humor. But they're quite good spirited. Those games. Aren't her they? and uh, another character, like a marine called Braddock, were having a conversation about clown dicks. And okay. it, you know, it's one of those conversations that sort of goes on longer than it should. Right. And well, I mean, how long should that conversation be anyway? It, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> everything I know about clown it was dicks, a quip somebody made, quick. and then they sort of go back and reference it, and they they have a little conversation about. Like just breaking down that line. Uh, oh, I see. And so it's like a Stuart Lee uh, bit about uh, <coughs> clown dicks. Kind of, but it's like while the conversation itself is sort of you know meh, whatever. Like the way it's delivered is it, it, one of those things. Something that Saints Row was really good at was showing a sense of a wider relationship between these characters and the idea that they could be friends or you know colleagues in a way that sort of builds connections and feels natural. Right. Um, which I think is something a lot of, certainly open world games, really struggle with. Mm. And Volition are quite good at. Like, one of one of Saints Row, the latter Saints Row games, like, most laudable qualities is the idea, is the sort of relationship between its central characters yeah. and how it builds that, like, beyond the childish humour of it. <clears throat> Um, which you either like or you don't. I, I think there is something quite. So it was a surprisingly positive and nice game. Yeah. Um, and I think Volition at their best does have a really good ear for that sort of thing. Yeah. And there are hints of it in this. And then, uh, you know, that if they can take these 12 characters and actually make them into personalities, then that might overcome uh, some of my shortcomings. Okay. Like. That's it. It is a combat-heavy shooter that doesn't have great combat would be a major problem still. Yeah. But we'll see. Okay. 
all right, good. Well, uh, I'm. Uh, it's, a, it's a very detailed, interesting take, I and mean, you can read more in the magazine, as I say, out on May the fourth. Um, that will be there'll be plenty in there on that four pages, which is good. <coughs> and so um, now we're going to move on to reader questions, Phil, which you may have uh, feel slightly more high energy about. But I'm going to get the one out of the way first that requires you telling an anecdote about someone else because. Uh, <laughs> Because why not? Yes, um, I have no answer to this, but... Okay, yeah, uh, so what's the daftest thing you did in a game after a few beers and did sober um, after you go back to to undo it? Oh, I might have read that wrong, sorry. Basically, <laughs> let me, I'll give this example and then we'll, then we'll just go. Uh, for my part, I'm informed that whilst at uni, I drove impeccably from Los Santos to San Fierro and San Andreas, obeying every red light and just drive into the ocean, die, reload my save and repeat. I'm informed <coughs> that this went on for three straight hours. I have no memory of this, fluid druid. Now, I don't really have any memories of doing anything particularly wild whilst drunk in a video game. Um, I think there was uh, there was a time, I think, when we were playing... <coughs> I don't remember what it was now, but I, I think I fell asleep during a, ma- a game of Rocket League once, maybe. I think that... I'm pretty sure that happened last year. Um, and I was quite... It was like 2am and I come back from the pub. Um, but, Phil, you actually have a story that Tom Sr. Uh, let's, let's not hype it up as a story or anything. It's just uh, one of... My memories of Tom Senior's <coughs> XCOM campaign and the way he described that was like the most disastrous things would always happen after he'd been drunk. Right. Drunk Commander Tom was not a good commander, and th- th- those those poor XCOM boys were in for a bad time. Okay. After he uh, inevitably got a hold of his save, thinking it was a good idea to put it on after the pub, and <laughs> would awake in the to morning <clears throat> to complete complete disaster. Of all the things to play, XCOM is not the one. How about you, Andy? When you never drunk? play games drunk. Really, it's the last thing in my mind when I get when I get back from the pub. I just want to eat a Domino's and watch Peep Show fall asleep. <laughs> it's a very specific routine I've got. Yeah, that's right. Are you me in two thousand seven? I like yeah. That's what I do. I eat a Domino's and watch something very familiar on Netflix, whether it's Alan Partridge or Peep Show or something. Don't yeah. know why. Just no, feel like I same. need something like comforting. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like that as well. Yeah, I never, feel, I never feel the ass to play or, um, games. Yeah, or community. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't really. Ha- I, yeah. I don't know. I'll stick on some online shooters, but like I'm bad at them anyway. So <laughs> being drunk doesn't really change my performance much. I sort of definitely get. I definitely, while I was playing Rocket League, got regrettably sort of like angry while I was drunk at the game, and then like I think the most extreme thing I did was just turn the power off at the wall, <laughs> go to bed straight away in in shame. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that's about the ultimate it, really. way to show the machine that you're the king. <laughs> so you go, you're the slave to this this switch, which I can switch off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's it's all I have, Andy. It's the only power I have. Um, okay, cool. Uh, on to questions I can actually answer. Um, thank you for that question, though. By the way, I wish we had more uh, more for you. Um, I wish you... we were more interesting when drunk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you could use any character from any game to lead our EU exit negotiations, who would it be and why? <laughs> That's from uh, Crimmond for eighty four. I like that now, like, question. Not, now that's not uh, we. Can, that's not position either way. How we feel on the. Uh, <coughs> well, um, we, no, we shouldn't. Although the um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody in the Discord did reply to that with Adam. Adam I never asked for this, Jensen. <laughs> 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 that, that's a good one. Which game? What was it? Which game character would we choose to lead Brexit negotiations? negotiations? Yeah. That is a great question. That is a great answer, though, Adam Jensen, because he's also got the pheromones thing. So <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a good point. You get the best he, deal. He would yeah. be using his social augmentation. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'd choose want... a cyber demon from Doom. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Donald Tusk just reached out his hand. Nice to meet you, Gadorge. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sorry, I was a bit like a hostile the move by the UK. <laughs> yeah. You'd get the job done. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, probably probably with a him. with a blazer. Yeah. I don't of, want to kill yeah. Donald Tusk. I want someone who will get the job done and be and be very polite about it and like, you know, like uh, I mean I Trevor yeah. from GTA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd he'd make a compelling case that it'd be hard to refuse. Yeah, exactly. They'd be like, These are all the things I'm gonna do to your country yeah, if you don't. They'd you probably know. just stomp on Donald Tusk's head. <laughs> God. Okay, it's well, getting dark. let's be very clear here. I, I, I completely respect Donald Tusk as a yeah, human being a and politician, and uh, do not endorse his uh, death by a fictional video game character. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Adam Jensen is such a good answer. That I'm struggling to um, come up with anything else. Maybe Guybrush Threepwood. Maybe he could sort of quip his way into. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I'm struggling. There. Yeah, the, the sort of bumbling incompetence of Guybrush Threepwood would probably go along with a lot of. Yeah, you could do insult Brexit negotiations yeah. where you just yeah. Oh, I I choose. <clears throat> I've got it. I've got a good answer. The narrator from the Stanley Parable, <laughs> who will just <laughs> yeah. say what happens next in the negotiation, and they would just have to go along with it. They'd just have to write. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, yeah, so yeah, it agreed to uh, dropping all uh, tra- trade embargo fees or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the narrator from the Stanley Parable does not have that kind of power and can be defied. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the whole game is about defying uh, him. But then, um, yeah, I uh, yeah, without re- revealing my hand, uh, hopefully these are enough daft answers to. Uh, cover up something that's very depressing to read about on a daily basis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, that was a very good question and very fun. Thank you. Um, although, uh, once again, I do not endorse Trevor from GTA V <laughs> murdering Donald Tusk. <laughs> no, right. It was, it was merely a flight of fancy. <laughs> um, oh, there you go. You could um, send in Cole Phelps from L.A. Noir, who would just, uh, you just, just hit doubt. doubt everything. Just doubt. <laughs> Until you got the answer. Uh, okay. Um, he is not a good negotiator because <laughs> yeah. just wild, wild mood swings from. And then I'll just go. Looks like I was mistaken. And then, ca- <laughs> yeah. then carry on. Sorry about that. <laughs> also, he holds that little book oh, while he's talking, which <laughs> I don't think makes him look like a constant also, negotiator. So punchable. <laughs> yeah, he is a bit. Yeah. yeah, one of the most hateful, like deliberately. He's that is a deliberately hateful protagonist. Do you, do you think so? Is he meant to be hated? Yeah, I, I did read a oh, thing he, with uh, surely an interview with. Uh, Brandon McNamara was it? Yeah, saying that he was supposed to be like a you know pull up his ass type guy. Oh right, yeah. And he doesn't really. He's not yeah. that, but he's also a complete hypocrite. Yeah, uh, cheats on his wife. Yeah, okay. yeah, but yeah. but has the sort of audacity <clears throat> to lecture every partner he has about yeah. their own foibles. Like surely, like the main protagonist of Ballet Noir is um, the guy you play at the end. Yeah, oh, what, Jack um, Kelso. Yeah. Jack Kelso. One of the funniest things in Ballet Noir is Cole being super uptight and rusty. Um, the second partner, oh, yeah. so the first partner in traffic, just Rossi's being like, great, yeah. yeah, he's great, just be and not taking any of his nonsense and like, just you know, when you go off to interview someone in the bar, like Rusty just goes to the bar and has a drink. He's like, I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm above this. That's true, but yeah. he's got some quite. Uh, I think I think that his sort of relationships with his partners do bring out a side of him that is slightly more likable. Although his partners are oh, always no, more likable than him. Yeah, no, yeah. I, every interaction with any. I, really didn't like him no fair enough actually he's not very like i liked man. all his partners more, yeah. more than him stefan i liked him the the uh the vice guy the yeah the no guy. no the port the oh, what was he bukowski yeah or whatever that yes guy. he was great and the then red-headed the, guy i yeah. liked him who's the guy who um you solve in who works murder with you um uh, the when you're looking for the black dahlia killer oh yeah and you say we've got you now genius coming for you that guy yeah anyway. i need to play that again yes good game good game it's the worst game i love <laughs> I think there's there's so much merit to that game yeah. that it kind of outweighs. I, I finished the... it five times. Five times. <laughs> yes, on all the DLC. Times. Five times. What was that yeah. other game you finished loads in it? And, I, and we were baffled by that. What was that? Oh god, yeah. You finished it like nine. It was a game you said recently. You finished nine times, and we were like, well, "What's the deal what with would that?" Would that have been? 
I don't know. It was like it was something. It was a seven out of ten. Something very unusual. <laughs> I'll try and remember it. If I do, it'll yeah. go was it like again. Fahrenheit? Yes. Oh, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. How many times is that? Four times was it? Some of that? Yeah, so many times. And I think <laughs> Alien Isolation as well. I'm, I'm on my fifth playthrough right now. Well, fair so. enough. That's an all timer. But <laughs> yeah. Fahrenheit's. Uh, I just I like replaying seven out of ten games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fair enough. Um, okay, this is uh, this is quite a good one from John Freeman uh, on Twitter. Thank you. Uh, what do you expect from E3? I'm hoping for the Halo Master Chief Collection coming to PC. Um, so I have thought about this, and I want yep. to see what Ubisoft's been working on. Because okay. they've actually... I know... I saw, I we'll think probably I saw, get a tease of Assassin's Creed, right? Yeah, or yeah. if not, like a full reveal. Like um, <clears throat> I, I saw a little while ago, I think it was Clint Hocking, who now works for Ubisoft oh, of again. Of course, he's back. He retweeted something that's saying that Steep, that game that we didn't like with snowboards, um, was like the first of Ubisoft's like attempts to make more systemic games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And while obviously <clears throat> that's maybe not the best example of how that could work, because there's not much in the way of like interesting systems or environments, a more systemsy Far Cry. Yeah, or, well, Far Cry is pretty systemsy anyway. But I want to like see Assassin's like a, Creed, yeah, Splinter like, Cell. Yeah. They've, I mean, yeah, they've talked a lot about this. I um, even before Steve, I remember them specifically saying part of the reason Assassin's Creed was going yeah. away was because they wanted it to fit into their more systemic Far Cry ish. Templates. I'd love that. Like yeah. a, an, an open. I want to see a really big sweeping ancient Egypt, um, and, and it's prime getting to see that. You know, uh, looking like it did back then, um, sailing up the Nile and. Boats and and like, and doing outposts like random generated uh, systemy takeover stuff instead of linear chase missions yeah, through, I mean, would, through would, Thebes. This or may sound <laughs> this may sound very naive, but is there enough stuff to climb in ancient Egypt? Oh yeah, the, at the <laughs> apart from the pyramids, yeah, obviously. the great cities and the prime like Memphis and all that. If you've seen artist impressions of what they looked like before they were all crumbly, like oh, yeah, massive. Yeah. Metropolises, you know, lining the Nile, like it's a really is. There's more to climb on than um, than revolutionary America. There was nothing oh, yeah. to climb on. Yeah. Trees and shacks. Yeah. Yes, New York is a shed and a cow. Yeah, that was that was a really bad. Uh, that was a historically interesting time, but the worst time period for an Assassin's Creed game for a country. It was like not even just begun developing. It's like Boston was alright, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. You. Where they go with this and how how rigidly they stick to the blanks. I think you can already tell games like Ghost Recon Wildlands are very much designed to fit within a set template of systemic play. Like a it's lot of quite, the things. It's that, not quite there though, is it? Uh, <clears throat> I think a lot of the things that game does wrong is specifically because it's so focused on being a th- that thing is right. being fuck about with your mates in a place and create your own stories uh, and as a result our story is going to be bad we're just going to give you basic templates and they're going to repeat and you can have as much fun as you want to within that and also our radio is going to be slightly uh, problematic <laughs> I wonder if they look to um, <clears throat> they look to both The Witcher was the rumoured one but also MGS5 in terms of like how can we make interesting systems games where anecdotes can be created by systems or? yeah which is a really weird example yeah, because it's not really that, quite... it's not. Like, a lot of that game's strengths are within its writing. Yeah, it's all handcrafted. Yeah, yeah, that's true. MGS5 is, I think, uh, is going to be a template for a lot of games for a long time to come. I'd love to see a Splinter Cell that kind of borrowed that uh, inspiration from MGS5. And I have no idea if that's what Clint Hawking's working on, but if, like if you're going to hire him back, you'd get him to build on the Far Cry 2-ish kind of yeah. thing, wouldn't you? I think, like... Metal Gear's strength is that it can do all that stuff with a sense of humour. Splinter Cell's not funny, so it'll just be like it could be great open world stealth, but Metal Gear 
the magic of Phantom Pain for me is it has that mm. ludicrous edge where you can where it has floating recoveries and horses pooping and like mad stuff. <laughs> I think so, I can imagine a humorless version of that would be what the Splinter Cell. That's another problem yeah. that Wildland has. It is not yeah. funny at all. But mm. it's not it's not funny within its writing, but and it's not funny systemically yeah. either. I, I'm going to be optimistic here and say that I think that Ubisoft is learning how to make I, yeah. more likable games based on like the Watch Dogs still having yeah. like fun writing. I think that, that's that's <clears throat> a very good point. Actually, I, I could see them and like the Assassin's Creed games, while like, they got worse, did actually eventually get a bit more of a sense of humor. Yeah, with Syndicate Black Flag was actually quite um, had a bit of charisma and sort of uh, life about it. I thought that's where I was impressed by. How different those two, Evie and Jacob, were from the st- absolutely stoic n- nobody that was like Connor from Three. Whoever that guy was in um, the uh, the one that Unity. Yes, uh, yeah. that guy. And like even Edward Kenway as well was great. He had a bit of a, a roguishness about him because he was a pirate, yeah. <laughs> literally a rogue. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like that'd be good to see more of that. It'd be quite hard in ancient Egypt, maybe. To I can see them getting real serious in ancient Egypt. But yeah, it's not a very funny time. Yeah, because like uh, pirates and cockneys well? are funny. <laughs> yeah. Pirates and cockneys are funny, but like, <laughs> I mean, sort of, uh, yeah. Afghanistan wasn't a very funny time either, but it's MGS did all right. <laughs> yeah. That's true, actually. Yeah, that's a good actually, point. <laughs> it's not very. Yeah, it's not a humor, humorous time, was it? Metal Gear humor is like weird though, because no one. It's funny to us, but no one in the game acknowledges that these things no, are no, funny. No, of course, no, it's you, very do, true. To, you you place down a pornographic magazine to distract a guy with complete earnestness. I think yeah, that, <laughs> that's kind of. I was why it was. I think that is something that Ubisoft could do with taking on board a little bit. Is even if like the dialogue is funny. Uh, Watch Dogs Two was this quite a bit. Is like systemically, it's not very. It's got a couple of like, oh, you've got a remote control car on, cool, yeah. and, that, and that's quite cool. But like, I don't, I don't think there's anything within its interactions that is particularly kind of slapstick. No, or... not really. I like that they're adding. Um, do you hear they're adding for free a paintball uh, shotgun to the game as well? I, I don't know. Maybe it's an air shotgun <clears throat> and a paintball like rifle. Okay, um, just to, to give you more op- non-lethal options. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a very good step in yeah, that direction. Yeah. Also, I heard they're adding four-player co-op, exploring the city in that game. Which oh yeah, great. So, it could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. After action report might be worth yeah. checking out. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think I read that right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw something yeah. about co-op in, in San Fran. Yeah, um, so that's cool. Um, yeah, and uh, yes, apart from Ubisoft, though, what, what do you reckon, guys? <coughs> uh, I mean, Microsoft needs something, right? Yeah, because they need to release a game at this point. Yeah, I'd love Master Chief Collection. I, I want to been looking for an excuse to replay the first three Halos. Is ODST in the Master Chief Collection? ODST yeah, is it as uh, available as a Chief, DLC as part of Master yeah. Chief Collection. I just want to play ODST on PC. That's one of my favourite games. Before? Really? Yeah, I love ODST. Oh, that's like the a... secret best Halo. Oh, if it, uh, this is like what Halo <laughs> hipsters say. Uh, it's brilliant <laughs> because it. Or right, this is vaguely, slightly off topic, no, but fine, it has that hub, that sort of noir moody hub, which I like. Yeah. And basically, every mission is like a best of Halo because you're just like jumping into things that happened in the past and it's like here's a big vehicle set piece here's a really intense you know claustrophobic firefight it's like a halo greatest hits that's that, what i liked about that it. format was very cool but i thought all the bits <clears> in between were a little bit too slow and that the pacing of that wasn't the hub stuff yeah yeah that is that's the weakest part i kind of like the, the atmosphere of it but i just love that idea of like i don't know what this next mission is going to be it's going to like throw some other cool halo thing at me I, I like that it was interesting that's for sure it's, it'd definitely be in my sort of top half of halo games the first i think the first one's still the best one to be honest i mean that's a, that's a fantastic mm. i was reading back a review of halo uh, we have a thing in the mag now where we look at uh 10 years previously in that issue and uh, jim rosinger gave 
Halo 2 an absolutely scalding review, which yeah, have, gave it a shield, yeah, didn't he? He got like 62%. He called it terminally boring or something. I agree with that. I think, ter- yeah. I think Halo 2 is a bad game. I didn't even know because it came out on PC. Maybe that, you know, maybe that was... They were like, oh, all the reviewers hate Halo. Let's just stop making it for PC. Wasn't it like a Vista exclusive or something? Uh, yeah, I think it was like specifically like that, yeah. tied to an OS that <laughs> nobody had at the time. <laughs> Well, uh, and it was an outrage because everyone was on XP and they were like, yeah. oh, how dare you try and make me upgrade to Vista. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. Um, apart from that, I wouldn't mind seeing more from that Star Wars game that Amy Hedig's uh, making at Visceral, um, whatever that thing is. Yeah, be we right. could, maybe we could get some teasers on uh, Bioware's next yeah. or a quote new, unquote IP. Or New Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. Or, Ken um, Levine's weird thing. Want to see that? Yeah, that's got to happen at some His point. narrative right? Lego, which I want them to stop saying. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess what it does Lego describe it. Words. <laughs> yeah. no, it's We're like calling it Word words. Lego. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to see that. I don't know what it is. As well, but... usually have like, surely it's time for a new Wolfenstein. I would say so. Yeah. 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 I want to see Machine Games take on another classic series and give it, it the give it the wolf that, see that would be that would be amazing it would be good they could just take a, an old game series and give it the machine games run it for the machine machine games machine and give it like a an ironic slightly self-aware ironic rebirth folksy mumbly protagonist they should do Duke really, Nukem like they would make Duke Nukem good again they would they would See the irony of and and realize how stupid that character is and make it cool again. I think they could make I, a really um, rad sort of single player Quake game as well. Like that would be that sort of like yeah. sort of slightly more kind of gothic mm. influence setting would be I think would be kind of cool. Yeah. But well, uh, now the Wolfenstein is probably the most likely, isn't it? Having played a bit of Bulletstorm with Duke Nukem, I can tell you he is still not cool. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's an awful character. He's an absolute well, he's, embarrassment. I mean, he's not a character, put him in the bin because every. <laughs> Every one of his famous quotes is just stolen from a film <laughs> yeah. of the 80s and 90s. There's no character He's just there. a movie he's buff. Just, he's like, it's like one of those soundboards of quotes <laughs> yeah. that you can get. Yes, he he's, he's a soundboard, not a character, yeah. and he sucks. It's time, but then Machine <laughs> Games could do like a, uh, almost like a sort of Galaxy Quest um, self-aware oh, yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. like twist on it, you know, make him make it play up to the fact that he's kind of a, a dinosaur and... So, yeah. yeah, like you can start with like him being in some kind of like uh, boardroom, and, it, and someone's t- pitching him to rebrand him. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, and he's just not or, really going. Or along something with like it. the wrestler, I mean, you know, like he comes out yeah, and like he's like, a, yeah, an old wreck they, of a they, man. You have working a butcher something shop. quite fun there, something quite little postmodern on. Yeah, but um, like in his weird cam, well, not in cameo, his his weird like pasting into Bulletstorm. <coughs> everyone just no, they haven't recorded any of the dialogue. So everyone just says the original lines from the game, right? Including calling him Gray, and he just goes, "No, my name's Duke Nukem." And it's like, <laughs> God. that's so it's bad. not fucking funny. That's, that's so bad. What is he just going to turn up in every <coughs> game? You're going to play? Um... Well, in every Gearbox game, I'm sure. It's like, <laughs> look, we please give us money for this desperate has been of a character. Yeah, I think there's. Uh, yeah, the, that should be that character should be in the hands of someone who is going to produce that sort of take. And even that, it just shouldn't be used as blatant marketing, like. <clears throat> Let's try and make this character look good by putting him in better games. <laughs> How's, how does that make sense? <laughs> um, okay, it cool. Angry. It really does. That's my, I'd say that's most of E3 covered, isn't it? Like um, everything else, yeah. we sort of. I think we're starting to learn more now as well about what we're going to see. There's going to be a new sort of intrigued about this rumored Call of Duty set in World War Two. Yeah. Kind mm. of like been a lot of while since someone game made a game in that saying, and like I don't know if it's. 
I don't know if if, if it's at least, if it's not just the recent Call of Duty's but reskinned and it's got a slightly yeah, more because those games are a little bit more open. I don't know. Like we'll see. It's possible. Yeah, they could do something with it. I I've lost almost all faith in the Call of Duty series, but then Battlefield did pretty well with World War One. Yeah, and even I, those ne- I just never thought liked. World War One would have worked well as a setting. No, but. no one did. Everyone was thought it was going to be a, a total embarrassment, and in some ways it was. But it, <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it was but also, also it was uh, an enjoyable embarrassment. Okay, cool. That's uh, this is an interesting one. Another question for the podcast: Do you, any of you have any opinions on games that have put you in the minority when compared to the rest of the PC gamer team? I.e., a game that you hated that the rest of the team loved, or uh, vice versa? Are there major differences uh, about the range of material the UK covers versus the other locations? How is it decided who will handle certain reviews? That last question has the potential to get too inside baseball-y, so I'll just say that me and Tyler Wilde in the US uh, chat all the time and decide who reviews games, and that's it. And if people want to review a game, they'll ask, (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) For the other part, I guess in general, we all seem to just generally agree that stuff's good most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, I'd say like I'd say there's very few occasions where it's very kind of there's a heated divide or whatever. Well, I will say that um, Watch Dogs Two is a game that um, uh, our reviewer James Davenport didn't like as much as you guys. Yeah, you guys definitely. But I would have given it a much higher score. Is slightly more of a disparity in you know uh, in taste between UK and US, uh, just between like those teams than there is within UK like as a unit. I think we tend to agree on things in a way that you're looking at me like you don't necessarily agree. No, I, I, no, I, I do. I was just trying to. Think <clears> I don't think I like examples, it's a major right. thing, but like stuff like Watchdogs or whatever. I think, but Watchdogs is the only um, real example I can think of in the re- in recent history. Like, in fairness, uh, the US team were well into were like entirely up for having Alien Isolation as Game of the Year 2014. Yep, and uh, MGS5 2015. Well, so. certainly a lot of other UK US publications <clears throat> were not big on that game. Like, that's, that's true. That specifically did not seem to go. Well, I think it always well, well. Like if you compare us uh, as a UK team to the other teams within this building, you'd find big differences of opinion. Absolutely. Too. Ultimately, yeah. it comes down to people rather than you know the country you're from. And even if you do compare the people in this room, um, some of us will look at our phones when a strategy game is being talked about. And others <laughs> will be like, oh, that sounds. And, other, and others have finished Fahrenheit four times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, hopefully that answers your question. I actually, I've, I've. Um, I've definitely have a tendency to like more bullshit than the rest of you. I think I'm trying to think of games that I've liked where maybe not actually. I don't know. Um, Tom Senior's got a massive fondness for the six out of ten, seven out of ten games. Oh, well, Space Marine. Yeah, yeah. I quite like that game, but like um, not as much as him. Yeah, yeah. Big dumb, uh, fun action game. Vikings Battle for Asgard. Basically, whenever a strategy developer makes an action game, <clears throat> that's uh, that's Tom Senior. That's I think. His name. Uh, Tom Marks and James Davenport over on the US team have more patience for in cer- a certain aesthetic of indie game than I do. I think I'm more... Uh, <laughs> I, I have less tolerance for a lot of uh, twee kind of uh, presentations, maybe, <laughs> than some people. Okay, interesting. Um, i it- think of other obvious things where... Well, I, I don't know. Like, um, I'd say that Mass Effect is one where there was some sort of like everyone mm. fell under every. I'd say every single person on the team had a different take on that mm. uh, across UK and US. Um, for me, Chris, who our reviewer, really liked it. Obviously, um, Andy, you weren't big on it at all. Um, well, I was. I was. I was quite yeah, big on it to begin with. with it, didn't you? Yeah, I like. I was quite defensive of it when people were sticking the button, but now I, I, I've put on my boot and joined in, <laughs> kicking. So yeah, I uninstalled. I think I said in the other podcast. 
I just said I installed it and went, nah, yeah. you've lost me. Uh, Tom Tom Senior kind of likes it, but I don't think massively. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mm. So, so yeah, where are you with it? Have you played it yet? Not really, no. I'm. Uh, I'm. I don't know what. What am I? I'm playing Zelda at the moment. I know it's bad. Okay. I shouldn't admit that. But like, uh, you're playing on an emulator, yeah, at 15 frames per second. <laughs> of course, it's the only way to enjoy. That game is so sublime that I can't. I just have to play that for a while now. Yeah, fair enough. And then I'll come back to the other games. It's like um, when Andy told me about that wall of side quests in the menus in Mass Effect, and like yeah. how you have to actually go around them to play, to enjoy the game. I was like, I just. I just want to cook so I also want to put some mushrooms and peppers in a pan and then eat them in this game where you play as some kind of elfin lad. You can do that, that in fine. the real world, apart from being an elfin lad. <laughs> yeah. It's quite nice because you, the fact you oh go go into some snow now, I better eat a kebab. That's the thing that you do in that game. Um so yeah, no, I, I but no, apart from that, just stories untold and I'm about to play little nightmares and right. review that for us. So uh but yeah, okay. Um another question. Having recently watched the bad Warcraft film, I was wondering what your thoughts are on Games that would and wouldn't make a good transition into film. Now, this is the sort of thing that people talk about a lot. Mm. Um, and in every single case, obviously, game movies have either been bad or average. <clears throat> um, I would say that one game that should have made a good movie, movie but was made badly was Max Payne. That's, yeah. that, that's a very easy story to translate they into. They totally quite fun. misunderstood it. And yeah, it's made a dry yeah. action film. There's not a. But, with, yeah, yeah. With weird, like, mythological dream sequences yeah. that didn't quite work. No, they yeah. were, but they were at least visually interesting. But mm. all the stuff with Max being a cop were incredibly boring, and he was a blank slate of a character. Yeah, they should have done it as a proper, like, exaggerated noir thing, like the game, instead yeah. of yeah, like a voiceover and serious. Yeah, yeah, like heavy voiceover and a bit more of a comic booky aesthetic. Make it look a bit like Seven, maybe you know. Yeah. Just um, I think but, almost any game, with obvious exceptions like Tetris, could make a great film. It's all about the treatment, isn't it? Yeah. Like, same with any adaptation, you you can. Look at Assassin's Creed. That could have been a, a really great historic series of historical epics, but the but it turned out to be a bit bum because of the script or whatever. Like you know, there's a lot of potential being squandered. So I, like I think a Silent Hill is the best video game adaptation. It's still a bad movie, but it's like one of the better attempts to turn a game into a film. The first one he, that is. I didn't mm. see the later one with Jon Snow in it. I don't want to see that one. Why didn't they never adapt the second one into the film? They didn't they choose the first game and then do yeah. that. Why didn't yeah. they do this? The second one's got like an absolutely brilliant <clears throat> yeah, they, spoiler they could have done like a could, really yeah. yeah, instead of they could have done a really like cool low key horror film, but they yeah. went a bit yeah. they went Where a bit they teen summer horror movie with a dog yeah. is behind a panel controlling everything you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could have been the post credits. That, <laughs> that was amazing, yeah. But like, um, there's a, there's a very. It's also wouldn't been expensive to make. You just need a town, like a fog machine, and then yeah. like an apartment block, and a guy uh, wearing like a polystyrene pyramid head outfit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I, I guess I, I don't know. Um, you know what's actually? This sounds like uh, a nonsense opinion, but I watched Street Fighter recently, the Jean Claude Van Damme one, and it's great. It's a great bit of like pulpy, self-aware, campy, comic booky mm. nonsense. It's genuinely good. Yeah, well, that's people thought that. Why do people think that that is a film that should where people should take the the premise seriously? <laughs> yeah, Street Fighter is very. It's daft. so like how, how dare you disrespect is, the Street Fighter lore? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because Kylie Minogue's in it, she's in that one, isn't she? Yeah, she's in it. And Ra- Raul Julia as M Bison, his last performance is amazing. Like he puts his everything into that, yeah. playing that ridiculous. Uh, character and yeah, it's genuinely good. I recommend. I honestly recommend. <laughs> I found it in a. I found it in a pile for of stuff that was going to get binned in the office. I rescued it and I took it home and watched it. And I'm so glad I did. It's genuinely great. Some really 
um, beautiful cinematography as well. Like the cinematographer, I can't remember his name or what else he's worked on, but I looked on IMDb and went, why is he doing that? <laughs> uh, and yeah. So that, that is it a success at translating a game to a film? No. Is it a great bit of like <laughs> a great B movie? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, I think there's potential in a Bioshock movie, but you kind of need that twist needs that central premise of being a player character. Yeah. Um, the reason I think that is because I recently watched 28 Days Later for the first time in a while, and like um, the way they frame those initial sequences of going through London. I think of actually you could do something like that with Bioshock with your first steps in the city and it being mm. this kind of weird mm. empty place before you bring spices into it yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And like that kind of scene setting works well for something that's got quite a high concept environment, I think. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. That won't ever happen. And it'll, they'll probably just carry on being bad. Yeah, I, you, you could do interesting things with Bioshock, but it's, it's more of a setting thing, I think, than telling that retelling that story. I think yeah. a lot of... I think where a lot of uh, adaptations get into trouble is trying to retell various stories as opposed to just picking <clears throat> the themes of a thing. Like it's why Silent Hill kind of works, I guess, is because it is mostly about the themes of it mm. and the the tone and atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a Bioshock film could just be about one character waking up on New Year's Day, nineteen sixty, just trying to escape from that city. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like uh, shit city, things have gone wrong. Oh no, I need to get out. Yeah, that's a Bioshock right there. Yeah, and along the way, you know, you meets friends who and you know turn into spices or whatever. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, by the end of it, can you shoot bees? Yes. Cool. You've done a Bioshock. <laughs> um, they, isn't that the director of that Kong Skull Island movie meant to be adapting Metal Gear for a film? Which, uh, which I think is a terrible idea. I, Metal Gear. I think Metal Gear is so perfect as a as a as a, as a game story that emulates film. I don't yeah, think it yeah. should be a live action. If they film. just drill down to the very basics of it and have a, a guy infiltrating a Alaskan missile base, yeah, that doesn't touch on all the outside philosoph- philosophical stuff. It's just I, yeah. a, a, an infiltration story, like Escape you from could New make, York. Yeah, yeah that could be good. Effective thriller out of the Shadow Moses incident yeah. specifically. Yeah. But Metal Gear 2 don't make that Metal Gear 2 ever go <laughs> Or 3 would probably be quite a good stand. 3 could film. be, yeah, yeah, a good I'm Cold sure the War. Like... Would, uh, would do a, a great Metal Gear 2 film. <laughs> <laughs> they did, didn't they? They saw the Matrix Reloaded is, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, good. Um, question for the pod. I have already asked a question a bit like this, um, but I'm asking, uh, do you think Destiny will be cross-compatible with Xbox so we can play with console people? Um, and if they do, would you buy the Windows Store version just to play that, or stick with the trusty Steam version? No, I don't no. think that will happen. Nah, there's too much of a difference between a mouse and keyboard and a, a controller. It'd make it unfair, wouldn't it? Yeah. Also, um, I think Destiny is aligned with PlayStation, so I don't think they're likely to yeah, do anything like that. Certainly, Destiny One had exclusives with PlayStation. <clears> I think <throat> that'll probably continue given the install base of various things. I'm not too bothered, really. I just go wherever also, my friends are. You know. Yeah, I don't have enough like. I own an Xbox One, and there really aren't enough people on my friends list to justify buying a game on uh, Windows Store just to have crossplay. Yeah, I'd get it on Steam. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that answers that. Um, I've just got two joke questions, and then one more serious one, and then uh, we'll do. Nice joke question for the pod: Could all of the hosts, if they cooperated, beat a single three-year-old in a fight? That's from <laughs> Dynalib. The answer is yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're all pretty big guys. Like you know, I, uh, me and Phil have talked about doing wrestling moves in the past, like as a combo thing. Boot that child in the face, down. <laughs> we'll need, need three of us. Just, just kick his face off. Just step on it. Yeah, <laughs> easy. Okay, well there you go. And I, and I thought me talking, me excusing the empire for wiping out Alderaan was uh, was bad. But there no, you that's, go. that's the entire genocide of a planet. I'm just talking about one child boot in the face. <laughs> Done. Walk off. Okay, fair enough. You are right though. We have. 
previously considered taking on whole games journalists with wrestle style tag team maneuvers. Yeah, because I thought, what if um, the office, what if games journalism had to have like a Marvel versus Capcom style game, and it was I don't know, future versus Eurogamer. That came or with settlers of weak, hasty, <laughs> bearded men yeah. throwing listless punches at each other. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they just try. They just try and um, you, and the, and the, your kind of special move would be a subtweet. You know. <laughs> Okay, um, another joke question. What's lunchtime like at PC Gamer HQ? Bring in your own lunch, Tesco meal deal, walk around the park, or head back to the office for an Overwatch game? That's from Avagar. I like this question because I love lunch. Me too, yeah. I'm thinking about lunch. Thinking about tomorrow's lunch now. The king of uh, uh, fish tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> if, you, if you do a canteen lunch. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We've got, a, we've got a canteen in the office that does... You can have a whole meal at lunchtime, and it's pretty good most of the time. Yeah, mm. that's good. If, yeah. if it's not, though, you pop out, I'll pop out to Subway and get a BMT... With uh, Southwest sauce, I think the king, yeah. the king of lunches and bath is a sandwich shop called Intermezzo, which is a bit of a walk, and they do a New Yorker, which is I think yeah. it's like Emmental pastrami, uh, tomato, and like mayo, and maybe something else. That is a fucking good sandwich. I do really like uh, the um, tent, the little gazebo that's outside of Greg's that does the chili and stuff. But yeah, it's always so so busy and so filling. <clears> the as lines well. just stretch out so far. You know, you're gonna get no work done in the afternoon. Oh, as I'd well. be. Fully sleep times if I'd had one of them yeah. today. Like, I'm already on the edge as it is, but I wouldn't get through this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that's chili combo. That is lunch. Um, uh, a, a hot meatball wrap from Pratt. Big fan of that. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, okay. that's good. Um, there's also the um, is a very good bagel shop here that does a classic smoked salmon bagel. Mm, which, yeah. Uh, See, I'm picking all like chains, and you're picking like you know. Oh, independent bath stuff. I just, that shows my lack of ambition. Well, no, I need to. I kind of. I feel like you need to mix it up with lunch yeah. to uh, to get Sometimes bored of mission, one thing. Sometimes mission burrito for a burrito that weighs as the weight of a baby. Oh, it's a very yeah. dense package in your stomach yeah. when you dense. <laughs> it's foil wrap full of meat and yeah wrap. Yeah, I tend to. I tend to have that before I go to the cinema, but and then um, choose the sauce depending on uh, how long the movie is. Like, Will I this is a salsa verde uh, joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see uh, Batman vs Superman, so this is a long, boring film. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, that was very inside. We don't baseball. But whatever. <laughs> Just love talking about lunch. Yeah, Should we launch a lunch spin-off podcast? <laughs> yeah. We don't do much games at lunch anymore. That used to be a thing that the office was big on. Yeah, but then people um, have always played games individually, so Tom Senior will play a thing that looks like Diablo no matter what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I might play a bit of Super Hot, or, but not much. Generally, I'll just go out. But like, um, And Chris used to just play Dota. So, uh, and I'm Dota never playing Dota, Dota again. There was, shit, uh, so, yeah. yeah, it used to be FIFA every day. Every day. Graham and Rich, the FIFA days. Yes. Uh, I think the current team would probably find that intolerable because it was loud. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I just I sort of don't want to get into a situation where I can't just go for a walk. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, that's no that's no side against you guys. Anyway, here's the here's the uh, last um, sort of serious question of the podcast. Um, S Stickman says, uh, "Why do developers feel that they uh, should make the game twice as big or six times as big in the sequel Andromeda, for example?" Um, you just it's just a bullet point in it on the selling point. Oh, it's bigger. So people go, must be better. It's become a bit of an arms race, hasn't it? And like, um, mm. you saw, and as hopeless as a real arms race, ultimately <laughs> fruitless, I'd say. That's very, uh, very moving, Andy. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like there's been a lot of open world games recently that have uh, either suffered from bloat or 
I don't know, like, even though I've played a bit of that Horizon game on PS4, and I, that just seems to be, like, size and icons, the game. And yeah, like, um, yeah. I'm, I'm really done with maps scattered with icons. I think Andromeda was the, the, the end point of that for me. I'm not putting time into it, unless it's really special, like The Witcher. Because yeah. you know those icons are going to lead you to something worthwhile. Mm, yeah. Whereas in Andromeda... Scan five bodies, bodies scattered, you know, scattered in a desert is not compelling to me. So I'm not doing that. Yeah, never. Yeah, I think what kind of like um, sort of Zelda relays actually is the idea that every horizon should make bring you a new handcrafted feeling environment as opposed to kind of more of the same or more filler or just you know standard buildings or whatever. And like it's very good at that. And um, yeah, although I don't think it's like a like a, a massive problem in game design, really, because there aren't that many open world games around. And I guess, the ones that, um, yeah. yeah, like and even like um, in the case of like Far Cry Primal, which was basically an also ran Far Cry game. I think that environment is very very nice and very different, offers something mm. very different to. Um, and Watch Dogs was actually quite small, and I liked that about it. Yeah, mm. it doesn't take that long to get from like the city to um, Auckland or whatever it is. So what I really hope it? they're making. Yeah, yeah, that's right. San Francisco, Auckland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it was quite. Can, it felt big, but it's quite condensed. Really, like I think that's the way forward. More condensed, think, detailed. Yeah, that's why I've been really loving spaces. the Yakuza series recently. Mm. Mm. A few bits of that is just because it's a, a fairly small but dense <clears throat> city, full of stuff to do, but it is not a big area. Yeah, yeah. Like, you run around well. it in a couple of minutes. But that, yeah, that's definitely the way forward. Big, big procedurally generated sweeping landscapes with nothing in them is like I'm done with that. Done with that. But yeah. if you make one city and you fill it full of stuff. Maybe like a certain Dragon Age two. <laughs> if you just put more grass outside uh, Kirkwall and Dragon Age two, people would have loved that game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, I so nearly did so many things right. Complete opposite approach to like Inquisition and Andromeda. It's interesting to see how Bioware bounces around between different things. Like imagine the how they use the Frostbite engine has a lot to do with that. <coughs> that. That seems to be an engine that is tailored towards very large, sweeping environments. Yeah, no one makes uh, like a walking simulator in like, you know, two corridors with one of those. Mm. Yeah. Um, how it de- handles like dense, packed environments. My my hope is that um, the next uh, Watch Dogs game is set in London as those kind of like, kind of coordinates, coordinates teaser have suggested. Mm. Just because the, um, <laughs> I think that I'd love to see what that kind of vision of London would look like condensed with a bunch of landmarks in it, and, and yeah, it was, it's a what was it? A getaway London, the getaway. That yeah. was a long time ago. It's time we saw and quite what impressive London for the time. Like yeah, again. quite impressive for the time. Like their actual storefronts in it and stuff. But like, um, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no atmosphere on the streets or anything like that. And now you could do a, a pretty good job of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. I think that's all the questions that we're going to answer this week. So We can have a lie down now. Yes, we can. Um, if you'd like to send us more, um, we have a new Twitter account listening post where you can send us questions. That's twitter.com slash pcgamerpod. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. No, isn't it PCGamer UK? Not anymore. We tweet, no, we just tweeted it. So oh, okay. we pod on the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's it. You can tweet us there or you can tweet us individually. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. There's also uh, at Octader, O C T A E D E R. And at Ultra Brilliant. Yes, um, so please uh, send us your questions and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.